last week we talked about love for the sake of Allah. And we mentioned, I think, five things that we can do. Who remembers one of the five? Just one of the five. I see y'all typing away. Fatima was like, I'm not even working on this, to be honest. It's like it's my physics class or something. <laughs> one of the five. We talked about five things that a person can do. Number one we said was to think of things positively. Whenever you introduce to anyone or anything or any person in your life, that you think of them positively, you don't think of them negatively. Number two we said was spread. No, not spread. So that, was that, was one of them. that was one of them. I mean, I said spread. Like, what else are you going to spread? Butter or like, <laughs> obviously. Like, yes, sit down. Number two we said was to communicate love. That it be something that is communicated. And you guys had the homework of telling someone that you love them. I'm assuming you guys all did that. We love you, Sheikh. No, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's not okay. the, so everyone, if, if, if that homework was not done, then it carries over to two people this week. So you have to tell two people that you love them for the sake of Allah. Okay? Two people. Number three, we said it was spreading salam. Number four, we said it was smiling. And number five, we said it was looking for uh, ways to bring happiness to people. Right? Looking for ways to bring happiness to people. And we'll talk more about this concept of love for the sake of Allah because it's a very powerful concept. Right now, we live in a world that does not have love. It is without love. And it becomes even more aggressive as more of the world moves online. It becomes even more aggressive. The Prophet ﷺ, he says in a hadith, Man sakan al-badiyah jaffa. That whoever lives in the desert becomes harsh. Why would a person become harsh when they live in the desert? Because like a Bedouin. Huh? Because they're like in a harsh environment and they're lonely. Okay, more so, lonely. So they're lonely. So people get harsh when they're lonely? What's that? Yeah, but he wasn't like really, he wasn't living in the desert. He was just going to a cave for a month, two months. But he still was very much a resident of Mecca, I see. There's, yes. there's, there's less human interaction. And when there's a human interaction, it's a potential enemy. So you're always on the, if you see someone, you're not like, oh, it's a person. It could be a potential. Okay, so in the desert, like online trolls there's no human interaction. Not necessarily anywhere. Okay, very good. What and else? you're dealing with trolls. Yeah. Online. Online. If you see people We're still in, the in the desert, we didn't go online. Yeah. <laughs> That's an analogy. I don't know but like, oh, it's a threatening environment. It's a threatening, a threatening environment. environment. The desert? Yes. Yeah. It's not a threatening environment. You, you are by yourself in the middle of nowhere. And all you've got is a sheep or two and a sky and the earth. But what if there's like other Bedouins? You see they could be potential. You're not going to fight other Bedouins. Bedouins. <laughs> the sun's beating down. How many times do you see a person if you're living in the desert? Sure. Very rarely. You don't feel any love. You don't feel any love, okay, if you're in the desert. But not only that, I mean, how did you go about learning how to interact with people? How did you learn how to say please and thank you? And how did you learn all of these, like, thousands of considerations that you have to do when you're interacting with a human being? You learn that by a whole lot of interaction, right? A whole lot. You being taught, you know, not to make eye contact in this circumstance and to make eye contact in this circumstance and to be firm when you shake someone's hand and that you say this or you don't say that, right? By thousands and thousands of interactions, if not millions of interactions, you learn how to be a refined social being, right? And every, every, everybody's got their... But... In, 
absence of all of that, you can be considered to be very uncouth, very rough around the edges. You don't know how to interact with people. You don't know how to talk to people. You don't know how to, to, you know, to, to exhibit manners. And so that's why many times the Bedouins would come in, if they came to Medina, they would do things that were considered to be incredibly harsh. They would grab the, the clothes of Rasulullah and just kind of yank it, right, and talk to him and say, Muhammad, you know, give me from your wealth and the wealth of your father, not the wealth of your father, like give me from, like the way that they would address was always, it could be seen as being very rude. And it was coming from the harshness of their environment that they were coming from. And so to, to, to kind of make that connection that you're talking about as far as trolls online, when people are online, online world is a desert as well. It's a desert. It's an experience where we're all alone together. Everybody's alone, but everybody's together. There's a reason why you know, universities are, you know, sociology departments are, are starting to have loneliness studies, right? In the UK, uh, Theresa May, she designated her first minister of loneliness. Like people are more lonely than ever before, even though they're more online and connected seemingly than ever before. And that's why when we talk about you know, the rights of, of brotherhood for the sake of Allah, you know, very interestingly, one of the things that scholars mentioned as far as brotherhood was, or, or the rights of brotherhood, they said was a ziyarah, visiting each other. Conqueror of Persia and Rome and Egypt and all of these places, Umar is making time to go and visit his brothers in their homes. A lot of times we feel like we're just too busy, especially now. I mean, now, if someone calls you on the phone, don't you get annoyed? Isn't that annoying? Someone yeah. calling you? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, just text me. Like, I don't even have the time for the phone call. Right? And, and it's everybody. It's, it's, it's not just everybody feels like why is this person calling me now much less visiting you know we still have i mean everybody's had 24 hours in a day forever but people just don't want to do these things anymore they don't want to go in and what this is calling us to and perhaps this is where our salvation lives as humanity that we make that we fight to preserve our humanness that we fight to preserve sitting in front of each other and putting our phones away and talking to each other and empathizing with each other, right? And conversing with each other and having these types of real relationships. I remember one time a sister had mentioned that her sister had around like 5,000 friends on Facebook or something like that. She had the max. And her sister had like zero friends on Facebook. But she had four really, really close friends, or maybe it was three. Like these are her had no, zero social media presence. And so she said her and her sister got onto a, a car accident in um, on a highway somewhere. And her sister posted on Facebook that 
she had been in a car accident. And so her sister's friends, you know, 5,000 times on Facebook, they're all commenting, hope you're okay, wow, blah, 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 blah. She was like, meanwhile, her two friends were at the exit within 20 minutes, right? So there, there's a difference here in the quality. And a lot of times, even as we're chasing quantity, what we're really suffering is a lack of quality. I'm sure you've seen that, uh, that image of a WhatsApp group from the 1970s. And it's just a bunch of uncles laying down in like a village in India somewhere. They're all just chilling together and they're having a conversation. And they called that like the WhatsApp group from the 1970s. But anyway, all right, let's get, let's get to some of this material. What do you feel are, are the most important factors that will, that increase love amongst people? When was the time that you felt incredible love from someone? And have you ever had an experience where someone gave you a gesture of love that made you truly love them? They might have secured your heart for a long time. Yes? Um, so when my dad died, um, we were staying with my uncle's family because we didn't, I mean, it felt like the ground had been taken out from under our feet. Yeah. And so I remember when Was I, it sudden? Yes. Okay. Um, and so when we were there, there were a lot of people coming there to visit, and one of my friends who I had known since middle school and high school, but we weren't really friends, I had never, like, I mean, we had maybe two classes together in those, like, seven years. I never went to her house. I didn't know her sister's name. I didn't know her mom's name. Her and her mom came and visited. And just having her there, I've told her many times I can't explain how much it meant to me to have her there. And now we're best friends for the rest of our lives. So. 100%. 100%. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people worry in moments of grief like that. They're like, I wouldn't know what to say now that I, they don't come, right? And you don't even remember what people said. Like, you don't remember what she said. I doubt it. But you do remember her presence. And that's very important. So that's a little bit. Thanks for sharing that. Anyone else have an experience like that? You reminded me of Shane Joe Bradford. He tells your story. He told it at our mess with that River Oaks. We had a suicide. Um, Prevention, or not suicide, it was Suicide Awareness Month, and he had come to do a presentation on suicide. And he shared that his father had committed suicide. And so uh, he didn't even call it committed suicide. There's another phrase, uh, but I don't remember what it was. But he, he had a contention with committed suicide because he's saying that it makes you don't realize that suicide as a mental illness or as a result of mental illness can be something that happens to an individual, not them committing it. In any case, he says he got one email from the community and one phone call. And then he said there was a brother who he didn't have a good relationship with, like he didn't really know him that well. But he said that brother showed up at his doorstep with a big bucket of ice cream and two bowls and two spoons. He was like, that was it. And the guy just showed up and he said that he, uh, yeah, they've been super close ever since. I could, I could very much see that. Anyone else have a moment where they just remember it feeling, or that a gesture that, and so what that sister did for you also is, is time, right? She gave you some her time. Something that, uh, have you guys been exposed to the five love languages? Sheikh Yasser Jasmur. So Sheikh Yasser Jasmur. What are they? Uh, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, 
Um, doing gifts. Time. Time. Yeah. Is that five? Yeah. yeah, so you need to get these down. These are important to know. Number one, the first, because the concept behind, and it's a book by Gary Chapman, so you can get the book if you like. But the concept is basically that people have different ways that they receive love, they interpret love. And, different, and, and so if people have different ways that they interpret love, then you might actually communicate love in a way that people, another person doesn't understand. They're literally languages. So for example, if you love acts of service, that's the way that you interpret love. You are going to love people who always do acts of service. And you'll notice that. Like, you just kind of really like people who are very helpful. People who will give you a ride home, and people who don't mind driving you all the way to Katie, and people who don't mind, like, not just don't mind, but they enjoy it, right? You will, because that is one of your love languages, acts of service. You can have another love language, which is physical touch. And those are the people who are always coming up and, like, trying to give you a hug, or rubbing your shoulder, or holding your hand or doing these types of things. And the reason why it's important to know love languages is because if that's not their love language, then you could be annoying them by rubbing their shoulder, right? But you're trying to communicate love. You're like, but this is my love language. They're like, yeah, but this isn't my love language. Like, get away from me. And that's what your mom says. You walk up to her and you give her a hug and she says, get away from me. <laughs> and then you say to her, well, I, I, mom, I, I love you. And she says, well, if you love me, then, Take out the trash. <laughs> right? So what's she saying? She's saying, my love language is an act of service. You love me, then speak my language. Go wash the dishes. Go take out the trash. And then when you now decide that you're going to speak not in your language, because you're trying to communicate love to her, you're not trying to, you know, selfishly um, receive love. If you do that, you go take out the trash, you might find her just walking up to you and giving you a hug. Right? So number two is physical touch. Number three, for some people, their most important love language is quality time. And so quality time means that you sit down and you just listen to that story that they want to share. And then you say, uh-huh, word, that's crazy. <laughs> and you just keep repeating it, and keep repeating it. For them, they're having like the best conversation. Really showing that you love them. And it is, it's important. It's important because it's important to them. And so again, it's about me recognizing and speaking their language. So this, these, these languages are not just important for you to know for a potential spouse. And I do think it's important that in the future, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses you guys that you are cognizant of these things and that you actually engage them like you have a love language or they do. What is your love language? So that you understand how to communicate love to them. But even with regards to your siblings, even with regards to your family members, you'll realize that they have love languages. You'll have a sister who doesn't really care about quality time, but if you get her just like the smallest gift, that means so much to her, right? Just, just the notion, not just of you thinking of her, but just, just a small gift. You, you go to Texas A&M and you get her a t-shirt. You go, I don't know where you go, you go anywhere, you just bring something back. So for some people, it's just gifts. That's their love language. And the promise of Allah said, He said, Tahadu, Tahadu. He said, Give gifts and you will love one another. That the giving of gifts increases love. And that leaves us with the last one of language, which is words of affirmation. And some people, again, for, for each one of us, we all have varying degrees of these things. Some of us might not care about gifts very much, 
but we care about physical touch. Some of us may not care about physical touch very much, but we die for words of affirmation, right? Someone saying, you're so smart. Someone saying, I'm proud of you. Someone saying, I don't know what else. That's pretty much it. But any other words of affirmation. And so navigating these things and then being generous with them, being generous with them increases love for sure. Are we done with uh, the sharing part? Nobody else? Nobody else has ever been loved by anybody? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are all... Yeah, when you uh, unintentionally hurt somebody, they forgive you very easily? Yeah. That feels awesome. Yeah. So very good. If you unintentionally hurt somebody and they forgive you, that is that is very good because it's kind of a weight over your head. Yes. Um, I play soccer every week and... Uh, like. It's called a humble brag, yes? It's part of the story. Okay. Um, so I used to be really timid when it came to heading the ball. So then yeah. one week I was like, you know what, let me just get amped. So I started yelling, this is Sparta. So everybody's like, but this kid's always yelling that. Yeah. One of the guys was in Greece on vacation. He got a shirt that said, this is Sparta. He bought it and he bought it from Greece and gave it to me. Nice. And I was like, oh my God. Wow. Whoa. So he actually went to Sparta. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so yeah, so like a gift, just a small. This is the notion that he was thinking of you. So you still like this guy or not? Definitely, yeah. So, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Something very important is to recognize that hearts uh, are in the are in the hands of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Allah says, uh, "Which surah is this?" Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Hold on one second, let me get you the the verse." Surah Al Anfal, verse sixty three. Allah says, وَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَا قُلُوبِهِ Man, this verse is so powerful. It says, لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَعْتِ الْأَرْضِ جَمِعًا مَا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَا قُلُوبِهِ Have we talked about this verse before? The first day. We did, right? Allah says that He united their hearts. If you had spent all that is on this earth, you would not have been able to unite their hearts. But Allah has united their hearts. Okay? So this, this shows us also the importance of asking Allah, Man, listen, there is nothing in this world that you want, that your first station should not be to ask Allah for it. I really don't like my brother. <laughs> Let me ask Allah to strengthen our relationship. I have trouble with my nieces, my nephews, my grandparents, my whoever it is, right, in my family, or even the MSA, the community. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he unite our hearts. I mean, we work and spend so much time in our lives, whether it's in our volunteer capacities, in our da'wah work, in our school capacities. One of the most important things that we must, not the, the most important one for us to engage in all of this, for success in all of this, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah is recounting to the Prophet and he says, if you had spent everything that was on this earth, you wouldn't have been able to unite their hearts. You wouldn't have been able to mend the differences between the Ansar, the Aus and the Khazraj, these two tribes who had been warring for so long. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, This is in Surah Al-Imran, verse 103. He says, And hold fast to the rope of Allah together, and do not تفرقوا, do not separate. And remember the favor of Allah upon you, that you were enemies, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala united their hearts, United your hearts, and 
you became by his blessings, brothers. Like this Ummah is crazy. You're talking about millions or over a billion people from all over the world. You're talking about North Africa and Indonesia and the Indian subcontinent and Europeans and all over. And not even just North Africa, but Sub-Saharan Africa as well. And they're all this living, breathing nation. Like, how does that happen? And you have people in West Africa protesting about Kashmir, and you have people in the Indian subcontinent raising Palestinian flags, and you have people all the way in Australia concerned about what happens, uh, or you have people all the way in America concerned about what happens in a mosque in New Zealand. Like, this ummah is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he united your hearts, right? So this is a godly action. So asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for more of that. And because this is something, we talked about this last week about why it's so beloved to Allah. But because it is so beloved to Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah says, my love has been deserved by those who love each other for my sake. My love has been written, has been deserved by those who love each other for my sake. And he says, And he says, And my love is deserved for those who keep in touch because of me. They connect with each other because of me. And my love is deserved for those who befriend each other because of me. Who befriends each other because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any friendship where you're like, if it wasn't for Allah, I wouldn't be this person's friend. Any love, where if it wasn't for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I would have no reason to love this person. Like, the, the purer it gets, the more that you have no reason to love this person for any other, the purer that love becomes, right? I have no shared interests, we have no shared classes, we have no shared, no, nothing, no benefits. And that's why the most sincere love generally would be the love of Allah. No. As far as humanity, who would it be? Mother. Your mother? No, you have a lot of reasons to love your mother. <laughs> Loving someone that most, you wouldn't, on, like that, someone that you hate. The lover's like the, the mother's like the person who <laughs> I have the most reason to love other miss, than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But other than that, who? Someone you hate. Not someone you hate. Even more than that. Someone who does something wrong to you. Oh, which group of people would be the people who you would expect are like loving for them loving them for the sake of Allah would be the most sincere those who hate you those who hate you not someone who did something bad to you not someone who you hate because you may have a lot of reasons to love that person someone you met so much too someone you met so much too someone you don't know stranger 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 no stranger stranger what type of stranger I can tell that you guys are nowhere near where I'm going oh we're missing can we repeat the question okay let me maybe I'm not being clear you're right rephrase the question so a person can be loved for a lot of reasons, right? So I want to try to make sure that I have as sincere a love as possible. So who's the category of people who my love would be most sincere of because I have no... The, the person can't help you whatsoever. Yeah. The person who can't help you whatsoever. Excellent. And which category of people is that normally? The poor. The poor. The marginalized. Oh, people who The person you can't... Yeah. yeah. The poor, the marginalized, the people who don't reciprocate, right? Because I have no benefit from them. You know what? You've got a Muslim professor. 
in biology, and you're a biology major. Like, I just love that professor. <laughs> yes, it could very well be you love them for the sake of a lot, but there's also a lot of dunya involved in that. But for me to love that homeless brother downtown, like, and I love him for the sake of Allah. And I'm there for him. And I'm serving him. And I don't expect a single, there's no credit that I'm going to get from anybody. There's no chance of them reciprocating in the future. There's no, I mean, I'm, I'm not taking some Instagram photos so I can get likes. There's nothing from the dunya that I'm expecting from this individual. Yes? Oh, okay, so I think in that case, we have more incentive because him being poor, I know the rewards will be multiplied and... Well, if my concern is just reward, then that's sincere for Allah. You see what I'm saying? What we're saying is that there's no dunya benefit that's expected. There's nothing from the world. And that's a feel good factor for me, right? Okay, so... Yeah, but the feel good... You're right, but any any good deed that you do is has a feel good factor. Any good deed, right? And you bring up an important point, which is... Good deeds have a feel-good factor, which is why Sahal ibn Abdullah Tushtari said, this is a really important concept, I want you guys to write it down. His name is Sahal al-Tushtari. He was a famous mystic, famous scholar of Zuhd and asceticism. Sahal al-Tushtari. He said, good deeds are done by the righteous and the wicked. Good deeds are done by the righteous and by the wicked. But no one refrains from sin except for the truthful. Good deeds are done by the righteous and by the wicked. And no one refrains from sin except for the truthful. Do you know what that means? That means that if I want to gain the if I want to gauge my righteousness, let my metric not be about how many good deeds I do, because there are concepts in which your good deeds feed your ego. I feel good when I give this poor person money. And that's why you'll find like the most wicked people, don't they have like charities and trusts and all that type of stuff? Absolutely. Like Pablo Escobar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's go yeah he, he volunteered to even like... Absolutely. 100%. The public debt of like Colombia. Exactly. exactly. But he says, he says, no one refrains from sin. Because when you refrain from sin, guess what you're, what you're doing? You're challenging your desires. You are subduing your nafs. You are suffocating your ego. And that is never a pleasurable experience. That's why that's something that we should monitor constantly. Yes, I paid my five. What do you think my five? doesn't mean that I should go and do this and this and this and this. Let me challenge that part of myself as well, because that's where righteousness lies. Anyway. Okay, so he says, we're back to the hadith, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that my love has been deserved by those who love each other for my sake, and my love has been deserved by those who connect each other for my sake, and my love is deserved for those who befriend each other for my sake, and my love is deserved to those who visit each other for my sake. And this tells us that one of the most beloved actions to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to go visit someone for the sake of Allah. 
this weekend, go and visit somebody. I know it's terrifying, but just go, show up at, don't show up at somebody's house, but make an appointment to go. And go and visit. Umar Khattab said, I know a thousand people's home addresses. Okay, my question is, our culture now, do you necessarily have to go to someone's house? No. No, like you hang out with them at some place. You can meet up somewhere else. Like from Khattab's time, there's no places to meet up other than your houses. I mean, you go to a person's house. Where else are you? But now you can meet up in a lot of different places. So that's good also. But is there value to going and visiting a person in their house? Yeah. Well, you can invite them to your house. So you they don't invite to their house, your house too? Yes, yeah, so they don't have to clean their house. So they don't have to clean their house. Okay. What what else? What what are some of the the what are some of the, the values to actually visiting a person at their home? Yes. You're putting trust. Okay. So developing trust amongst each other. Very good. What else? You get to, you get to know more about them and their family. You get to know it. If I go to your house, I meet your dad, man. I meet your mom. I meet your siblings. Right? Absolutely. I, I, I become more aware of your needs, if there are needs, right? If, I, if I've never been to your house, I might not know anything about you, really, right? But, and this is, this is something that you find a lot with regards to the setup, because one of, I mean, I don't know if we'll get to this, but one of the, they talk about the rights of brotherhood. And of the rights of brotherhood, first thing is the right of wealth. Like brotherhood and sisterhood for the sake of Allah is not some like like some, some superficial aspect. The highest level of brotherhood, I mean they talk about a number of levels. So one level is that if your brother comes and asks you, that you help them with whatever they can. That's one level. And they you know, they kinda of look down on this level because they say like, you know, what kind of horrible friend, such a horrible friend is the friend that you have to ask. And that's why they used to say a lot. They used to say, the worst friend is the friend that you have to ask to make God for you. Like, if I have to ask you to make God, you're going to Umrah, and you you send me an email, and you're like, if you'd like for me to make God for you, please fill out this Google form. <laughs> never, ever going to fill out a Google document. And I'm offended that you sent me a Google document asking me to make to fill out a form so that you can remember me at the Kaaba. No. Yes. If someone isn't making God for you, are they really your friend? Exactly. That's what that's what they're saying. They're like, if, if the worst friend is a friend who you have to ask to make God for you. I don't mean to offend anybody who's been sending out Google forms. <laughs> it's just that's a pet peeve of mine. I'm just a pet peeve. And I do think that it, I don't want to say it's an innovation, but it's, it smells and tastes like one to me. Right? Kamala just, these types of things spread like wildfire. Yes. But it could be also about like their intention. So it's like, if, if I have like so many friends and I can't make that for each and every one of them, I could be like, oh, I mean, what if they yeah, have I'm sure they have a good intention. I, I don't think that they're they're not. I, uh, everyone who's doing it does have a good intention. Yeah. They have a reasoning for it, but I just, I don't like it. But some people, they also tend to open up more and like, they ask you for like personal stuff that they normally wouldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah but all of that to so. me, all of that to me, is indicative of a lack problem of that we have. Yes, yeah. which is lack of brotherhood. That's fair enough. Like, you're, if we're if we're brothers, then you're supposed to, we're supposed to challenge each other to do that. If I have a brother 
who is out of a job. Like, it's a shame on me if my brother's been out of a job for two months and I, I, I didn't know about it, and we're close. It means right? you're, not, you're not close. Then. It means How are you close, close yeah. right? But sometimes that happens. And then it's a shame on me if I hear that he's out of a job and my mind is not thinking about his rent. And my mind did not start thinking about his family. And I didn't like start hustling like some of the brothers together, but you know, without waiting for him to ask. Because if he asks, that's that third level, right? The scholars and that's like. So, so anticipating people's needs. You know, when I hear about a friend of mine who's about to get married, marriage costs a lot of money. So I could wait for him to start you know, calling up his friends and being like, yo, can I borrow a thousand? Can I borrow two thousand? Like, that's what ends up happening. Or I can anticipate his needs and be like, listen, the 500 or the a thousand or the 200 or whatever it was that I was going to bring as a card on the wedding day, here, let me just send it to you in advance because I know that marriages uh, cost money, right? Having that level of consideration, anticipating people's needs, is very beautiful. Number two, they talk about uh, just making yourself equal. Like, I see my brother's access to me as equal. Like, we go and we, whatever he needs, I'll help him from my money. In an equal fashion to myself. And then the third is when you prefer your brother over yourself. And that's how Allah describes the unsought. Surah Al-Hashm, verse 9, he talks about it in Hajirin, in verse 8, and then he says, And those who dwelled in the homes and in faith before them, before the Muhajirin. They love those who migrated to them. So what did that love look like? Allah describes that the Ansar loved these brothers and sisters who came from Mecca. And they sacrificed at their own expense, even though they may have had a need for it. Like imagine when you need something and you realize that your brother needs something also. There is a sweetness to sacrifice. There's a sweetness that comes with it. And all of this, by the way, comes with incredible uh, sweetness that comes with faith. The Prophet he says in another hadith, he says, three things that whoever has them, iman, will taste the sweetness of faith, the sweetness of iman. Number one, he says, that a person loves Allah and his messenger more than anything else. And number two, he says that a person loves their brother. They don't love them except for the sake of Allah. So just loving someone for the sake of Allah. Allah says they love al-muhajirin. And then they sacrifice at their own expense, even though they themselves had need for it. The Prophet says, And this hadith is recorded by Imam Ahmad and it's authentic as well as the Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood. 
that if a person loves their brother, that they should let them know. Now, let me tell y'all something. And this is something serious and big, as this is a challenge for you guys. Because it's not easy. Shaykh al-Bari, one of the great muhajikin of the past century, he was Albanian, but he was raised his whole life in Syria. So he's Albanian, but he talks with a Syrian accent. It's interesting. But in any case, he was asked by his students, if someone loves someone for the sake of Allah, should they tell them? The answer to that is? Yes. Yes. But he says, loving for the sake of Allah has a price. And most people are not willing to pay that price. And then he said, do you know what loving for the, do you know what the price is for loving for the sake of Allah? Loving for the sake of Allah has a price. What is the price of loving for the sake of Allah? Being consistent. Being consistent in loving them? Yes. Like okay. always going out of your way too. Always going out of your way. Time. Giving them time. Very good. What else? They might not reciprocate. Having that love reciprocated? I'm saying they might not reciprocate. You don't want to reciprocate. Not reciprocate. Okay. okay. Very good. Vulnerable. Being vulnerable. Being vulnerable to them. So his students, they were giving him different answers too. They said that you love for your brother what you love for yourself. He's like, no, that's one of the effects. Other answers, this, that. And then finally somebody said, the price of loving for the sake of Allah is by the time. Verily, human beings are at a loss. Except for those who believe. And they enjoin each other to truth and they enjoin each other to patience. What does that mean? He said, yes. He said, you're right. That's the answer. He said, let me explain it. Enjoin each other to truth. He said, when a person loves someone for the sake of Allah, truly loves them, they will be more constant in enjoining them to truth. They will be more present than their own shadow. They will always be telling them, you're kind of veering off the truth a little bit. You need to get back on the truth. Enjoy And that's why, if I were to ask any of you, who are the people who are on your back the most? Who are they? Parents. Your parents. Why? Because they're the ones whose love is the most sincere. So they are the ones who are most willing to pay the price of love. Because what's the price of love? The price of love is that when I'm telling Abdullah that what you're doing is wrong, how's Abdullah going to react? Might curse me out. Might get upset. Might not hang out with me anymore. Right? And I prefer Abdullah's friendship over the truth. And that is a weakness in my love of Abdullah. Because if I truly loved Abdullah, when, when not Abdullah, but somebody else comes to me and says, yo man, I just got a girlfriend. I don't tell him, yo, you're the man. I don't know what people say these days, but like, I don't give him that. Like, just one? Yeah, just one, right? <laughs> because that's not sincere. That's not sincere love. Sincere love is for me to say to him, you're Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's sincere. Abdullah like, yo, you're lame, blah, 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 blah. I don't know how we got back on Abdullah, but I said that it's not Abdullah. Right? The sincere love is that you are calling a person to that which is going to be good for them in the dunya and the afterlife. 
That's why when you come to your parents and you say, hey, I want to switch my major, I just want to follow my heart, all of my friends are saying it's a great idea and that I should just follow my heart, I want to major in like underwater basket weaving. <laughs> <laughs> and all of them are saying that I'm great at it and that I'm really talented. And your parents are like, what are you talking about? Feminist, <laughs> feminist dance theory. How are, you gonna, how are you going to like weave baskets underwater if I kill you? Okay, then I'm so right pretty now. good, pretty important. <laughs> right, but that's because your friends are just like, whatever. Like, they're, How invested are they in that moment? Mm. Like, I mean, whatever. Like, if, your life works out great, then great. And if your life doesn't work out great, then I mean, you're not going to be showing up at their house. Right? So they're the ones whose love is the most sincere. Yeah. What if, um, oh my God, it's actually a thing. What? what? Underwater, underwater basket, basket weaving. weaving. Yeah, no yeah. way. No way. Yeah. Rutgers yeah. University. Yes. What if they like basically resent Islamic reminders? Oh, it's a joke. That, that mm -hmm. is the means uh, for them uh, to push you away or uh, what if it? What if they just don't like Islamic reminders? What if they don't like Islamic reminders? So if a person is sincere, I mean, you guys tell me, if a person doesn't like Islamic reminders, how do you approach that? They're in need of more money. You do they need it more. Then they're definitely in need. <laughs> yes. You approach by common sense. Huh? You approach by common sense. Okay. So you approach by common sense. If they don't like hearing Allah said in his messenger set, then you know what? Let me hit you with some common sense stuff. What else? You slowly like inch it, like step by step. Okay, so you take them step by step. Very good. What else? I think it's a process. They have to know that if why, and it's important to let them know that you know what I'm doing is for your own good in a way. Let them hear. Very good. Else. Very good. It's important to know that I can tell you I've had some friends when I was growing up who were incredibly strict Muslims. Incredibly, like if I just, if I made a joke online somewhere, like if I tweeted something, I'm not even saying like a haram, like vulgar tweet, like I see on Muslim Twitter now all the time. Like, <laughs> I'm talking about just something that is not befitting me, literally, like, like does not meet their expectations of me. I'm getting a direct message. I'm getting a phone call. I'm getting a, you know, and it's the two people that I'm thinking of. One is a, a brother who was very close to me, and another is a sister also. And they were just. But both of them were always coming from a place of incredible love, incredible like warmth, incredible. I mean, just. And I had I had so much. They had so much rapport with me, right? Because we had gone through like trenches together, done so much work together, like you know. We know each other's family, like all that type of stuff. It's not some random person on Twitter like messaging me. So there's an app, there's an important aspect of rapport that you make sure that you have rapport with this person. And number two is for sure that even in your communication with them, that you're coming from not of a place of ego, not of a place of you know exercising some sort of authority over them because people 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 see that, people feel it. But if I'm coming from a place of of love then inshallah it'll be more effective for sure. But also, uh, speaking about, you said, have someone else talk to them? Yeah, like have, have them hear from someone else. Absolutely. Because if I'm sincere, then it's not about me, it's about them, right? If I'm trying to get somebody healed, 
it doesn't matter to me which doctor they go to. I don't care. I don't care if they go to this doctor or that doctor. So if I'm trying to help somebody, it doesn't matter to me if it comes from them or if it comes from me. Because if, if I'm insisting that it comes from me, then that's my own ego at play. Right? So you have to recognize these things. Yeah. You prefer like questions uh, at the end or like at the I, I like them coming. You in. like them coming? Um so I feel like there's two two concepts that are kinda of tough to reconcile, or at least for me. Two what? Two concepts maybe are tough to reconcile. Two concepts, okay. So because um, we're talking about loneliness, we're talking about brotherhood, we're talking about you know, we started by saying like online it's like a desert and so on. Yeah. But then now we're talking about like you love someone sincerely, giving them advice, even if you choose to benefit them basically, the tough love approach, even if they don't like you, like Coach Carter. Okay, now, but then you might be lonely in the middle of the desert for that, right? You might be lonely in the middle of the desert. I'm saying if you're the person, you, you love people a lot, and you're always trying to give them good advice, it's possible that they will, uh, that people don't want to, like, don't want to hear, like, uh, don't want to hear advice. But, like, of course, it could be your approach, but I'm saying let's assume someone's doing it right, but people don't want to uh, constantly basically hear their flaws, so they're not going to be the most popular person because of that, yeah. their choice. But then it's a desert. Like, how do you reconcile the loneliness thing with the... No, I mean, uh, so if I'm understanding correctly, the question is... How do you reconcile two concepts? Number one is, you know, you being lonely in the desert, and you being lonely in the desert because of if you are always advising people, the people are going to flee from you. Possibly. Right? Possibly. So how would you guys reconcile these two issues? That if you are lonely in the desert, I love how you came and sat and started thinking. You're like, let me, how do I reconcile this issue? Very good. Yeah, the religion is advice, but how do you reconcile these two concepts? I'm lonely in the desert. Because every time I'm advising somebody, they don't want to hear. And not just that, I'm known as the halal police or the haram police, right? So nobody wants to sit with me, nobody wants to eat with me, no one wants to sit with me. Retreat to the cave? Retreat to the cave? Which cave are we talking about now? A similar question also. You're trying to build, you're trying to build, you're trying to build, you're trying to build a community. Pointing people's flaws, is that the best way to build, you know? Okay, so there's a lot of things. I know there's a lot of levels here. here. Yeah, I agree. But okay, number one, I'm not, I am not required to engage everybody's flaw all the time, right? Because then that becomes exhausting for everybody. Nobody wants every mistake of theirs to be correct. Yes. Because like if you do that, like they'll think that like you think that you're better than them. That's true. So because you're better than them, you yourself have flaws. As Imam Shafi said, if you are bothered by what you see of other people's flaws, realize that you have flaws and other people have eyes. Right? Like people can see your, your yours as well. But there's a couple of things. Number one, when the Prophet Sallallahu is saying that whoever lives in the desert becomes harsh, I'm not living in the desert. He's talking about physically living in the desert. If I'm living amongst the people, all of my social skills are there. I'm refined, I'm engaging, I'm well-mannered, I'm addressing people according to their levels. I'm doing all of these types of things. Number two, I can't imagine a person being completely repulsed by everybody if they're carrying prophetic character. Even if they're engaging people, they're advising people, they're doing it with love, they're doing it at the appropriate time, people, people accept that. You know, people are actually, I believe that people are, um, people are actually missing that type of relationships with individuals. People miss mentors. I, man, I have so many people, like, 
complaining about this. Like, yo, I can't find a mentor anywhere. I can't find anybody to, to talk to. I can't find anybody. So if you're, you're giving all of that as well, then people will take the correction as well when you are giving them so much attention, so much encouragement, so much love. Because part of the concept is right? commanding good and forbidding evil. You guys have all heard that phrase before, I'm sure. People always think about prohibiting evil. But people never think about commanding good. The Prophet you know, have you guys heard like we don't praise people in Islam? Have you guys ever heard that? Like, I don't know where we got that concept from. The Prophet was praising people left and right. Left and right. You know why people say that? Is they say, if I praise somebody, it might mess with their sincerity. So let me not praise people. But the Prophet tells Umar that if you, Shaytan sees you cross, walking down the street, Shaytan crosses the street. Isn't that praise? Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, you've been given a voice like the flutes of David. That's praise. Bilal, what is it that you do? I heard your footsteps in paradise. That's praise. Paradise longs for Ammar al Miasif. Abu Bakr is in Jannah, Umar is in Jannah, and Ali. I mean, all of that is praise. He's praising left and right. That's how you know the virtues of the companions in the first place. And so, a lot of times, by the way, you can encourage someone to do good, and in encouraging them to do good, you are now getting them to refrain from doing bad. Right? If, I, if I'm celebrating the good things that they do, encouraging them to do that more, like these are all methods that a person can engage. You know, I went to a, a mission once in SoCal. It was just like a Saturday. I went and prayed Fajr in the mission. And they had, uh, they were doing a, they were doing, at Fajr time, on Saturday morning, they were doing a, a uh, what do you call it, a ceremony, an award ceremony. It was a, an award ceremony for a single person in the masjid. And it was a 10-year-old kid because he had been coming to Fedya for six months straight. I think he was coming to Fedya on the weekend six months straight, or maybe every day, him and his dad. And so they're like, yo, we got to celebrate this kid. And so they did, right? As opposed to simply waiting for this kid to stop going to the prayers and then sitting there and giving a hope about how kids don't come to the prayer. Like, why don't you celebrate good when good is being done so that you you actually encourage and have all of this positive reinforcement as opposed to simply negative reinforcement all the time. Anyway, I don't even know how we ended up there, but I hope that answers it. Yes? Mahmoud, yes. I think it's important to first of all, as you mentioned, uh, mentioned about being a mentor. A lot of guys, they trust you and it's a different way to talk to him rather than someone who's older. Um, the work, um, the, you know, community work that whatever we do. I think it's if a high school comes to me now, and if he makes a you know a joke or does something you know not good, I guess in in a public, if I call him out, he's gonna say, "Who are you?" But if the same guy after that everything is in, if I go to talk to him, you know, maybe take him out to eat, you know, and say, "Yo, I know you're a good kid. Um, maybe this is something that we can work upon." So I think he will appreciate that. And if someone older, it's that's gonna take something else because you know the older guy might say, "Well, I'm older, I know more." So I think it's how we approach both sides. Absolutely, very good. Yeah, you talk to people privately, you give them the ability to safe face. All of that is beautiful. All of that is beautiful. Okay. So we talked about love for Allah. Al Fudail ibn Iyad is a wonderful character from the Tabi'i. Al Fudail ibn Iyad is one of the most famous scholars in Islam. 
especially when it comes to issues of like softness of the heart and focus on the akhirah. But he was a criminal before he became a scholar. He was a highway robber. So he used to, I mean, he used to rob people on highways. That's what he did. And it was said in the story of his toba was that he was actually climbing a wall to enter into a house, to enter into a brothel. Or he had some appointment with somebody and he was climbing into the house to go in and he heard a person praying uh, and the verse that he was reciting said this verse these two verses from Surah Al-Hadith are just unbelievable Surah Al-Hadith verse 16 and 17 I think hasn't the time come for those who believe that their hearts be softened to the remembrance of Allah. And that they not be like those who were given the book from before. And so the distance became down for them. And their hearts became hard. And many of them were transgressors. Like hasn't the time come for you, those who have believed, that your heart react to the remembrance of Allah? And that you not be like those people who were given the book from before. The journey was too long, their hearts became hard, and many of them became transgressive. This is describing the people of the book from before. They had the Torah, they had the Gospels. But that, you know that passion that you have when you first, like Islam first makes sense in your mind, and you start to practice, and you have a sweetness of faith, and, you know, you care about the prayer, you care about changing your life, and you care about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you feel it. But then, over time, what happens? It starts to become a routine. And there's no sweetness in the prayer anymore. And it might become out of habit. Even worse, if you become in a position of authority. And so, you do it more as an occupation, or you do it more because that's how you see yourself, or that's how the community sees you. They see you as the educational chair. They see you as that was just a shot at you from where you They see you as, you know, someone who but the heart may actually in that state become hard. And Allah says, Fakasat Kurubum, their hearts became hard. What can feel many of them were transgressors. So if you actually looked into their private life, you would not see because it's not powered by by iman anymore. It's by routine, it's by habit, it's by you know, other things. And so they actually transgress the limits of Allah. In public or in private. Ibn Mas'ud, he said about this verse, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is the sixth person to accept Islam, one of the greatest companions of the Prophet, one of the greatest authorities in the Quran. He said, this verse came down the fourth year after we became Muslim in Mecca. It wasn't late in Medina. This was year number four. They were being reminded, don't let your hearts become hard. And so what that does is it reminds us of the importance of re-engaging, diagnosing, disconnecting, checking in on our hearts, checking the metrics. Am I spiritually fulfilled? Am I there? And one of the greatest indications of the health of your heart is what Uthman ibn Affan said. 
If our hearts were healthy, they would never have their fill from the Book of Allah. It's always the Quran. Can I listen to the Quran? The Quran is really interesting. It's amazing, actually. You know, you can have somebody who you sit in a car with, and you're driving to Austin, or you're driving to Dallas, or anywhere, like a four-hour road trip. And they're driving, so you have the ox. And you want to play anything. You want to play a podcast, they're down. You want to play TED Talks, they're down. You want to play, like, um, Swedish folk music, they're down. African tribal music, they're down. Uh, Japanese, like, trance music, they're down. Like, whatever it is that they, they, they are willing to listen to anything. And then you play the Quran. And after like one minute or two minutes, they're like, yo, can we just talk? Like, right? There's literally a resistance. There's literally a resistance. And that might even be like us at a point in time in our lives. But that's something to check. Like, if I can't listen to the Quran, why? Why is that the case? If I if I don't enjoy reading the Quran, like why is that the case? Because everybody enjoys speaking to the ones that they love. And so if I love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these words of Allah, you know, Imam Ahmed, he said, this is going to be, anyway, it's it's debated, somewhat controversial, but Imam Ahmed, he said that he saw Allah 99 times in a dream. 99 times he saw Allah. And Imam Ahmed went through an incredible, incredible trial. One of his trials is very famous because his trial, he saved Islam. He saw Allah or he saw Allah? He saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Imam Ahmed, he said that he saw Allah 99 times in a dream. And then he said, if I see him the hundredth time, I will ask him, what is the thing that brings his slaves closest to him? What is the thing that he loves the most from the servants? So then he asked him. He saw him and he asked him. He said, my Lord, what is the closest thing that your servants come close to you with? And he said, Qiraat al-Qur'an. He said, Ay Rabbi, bifahmin wa bifahmin. He said, I understand, my Lord, the recitation of the Qur'an. With understanding or without understanding? And Imam Ahmed is asking, like, do, we, do you have to understand the meanings of the Quran? Do I have to understand the interpretation? Do I have to understand? Or is it just reading the words itself? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, according to this dream, He said, With understanding and without understanding. Both of them are incredibly beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The scholars debate about this issue of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the dream. And in any case, I said that it's controversial, so take it with a grain of salt. But this notion of reading the Quran as being not just the love of Allah, we all know that, but being a metric of a healthy life. Anyway. Somehow we ended up covering none of what I wanted to cover tonight, but that's all good. I would much rather that our conversation was going in whatever direction that you guys want to take it, inshallah. Um, next week, we are going to cover the fifth, which is a man who 
who is invited by a woman of beauty and nobility. And he says to her, I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobility. Are people, are there still instances of nobility? Like, how does, how does nobility get interpreted in our day and age? Blue check mark, man. So blue check mark. Wow, <laughs> that was fast. Celebrities. Celebrity. So celebrities. if she's, uh, she's what is the blue check mark? What is that? What is Ver- that? Verified. 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 Basically, celebrities. Yeah. Celebrities. Absolutely, 100. Right. That's how people interpret nobility in our day and age. Right. They're famous. It's no longer really family or race or it's not, not so much. Family, not even money race. necessarily. But it's money? just yeah. as powerful. The blue check mark. Very good. Money. Anything so far on, on what we talked about? It is Muslim time, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Okay. Any last questions, comments, considerations? Yes. Um, What's your name? Remind me. Isha. Isha. What does Isha mean? Um. I like that. Um. That means we have no idea what it means. No, but I've been told it means Bahar ka ana in Urdu, which is like the coming or the blossoming of spring, but I haven't. Nice. What language is it though? Urdu. Oh, uh, I think it's a mix of Farsi and Urdu. I'm not sure. I can ask. I'll get the first. No problem. Uh, you mentioned a bad concept of burying the treasure over your thoughts. Wait, Firuna ala anfusim ulakan bi khamsa. That's Surah Al Hashd, verse 9. All right. What are your plans for the winter break? Sleep. For a month? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. I'm going to Guatemala. And Guatemala? Was, yeah, and I'm doing like a medical mission trip. Nice. What about Thanksgiving break? Let me start with Thanksgiving. Eat. 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 I'm getting my wisdom teeth. Well, it's, it's your fourth. No, but it depends. I mean, making a convention. Friendsgiving? What's that? Oh, I'm And everything. Okay. Well, it's awesome. pretty cool. You're the best. Trying to go back to my husband. You know who yeah. you guys have news, to take care of? Been some Thanksgiving weekend? You guys have to take care of the people. We don't have family here in Houston. Mm. You guys need to make sure that you invite them over places and blah, 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 do all of that type of stuff. It's never any fun being in a city where you don't have family. New, new converts also? Yeah, it's just new converts because like there's... Because like Thanksgiving and they're Muslim? Yeah. I mean, okay. if, if, if they have an issue. Everybody. That's true, but if they have an issue. So we're going to pray about it. Real converts and no. Kyle, see you guys next week.